Welcome to Urban Principle, leadership lessons brought to you by BrettAndersonConsulting.com. And now here's your host, Brett Anderson. And welcome to another episode. We are on episode 44. And I started doing reading and I, of course, my mind is always thinking about all kinds of things I want to do episodes on. And I came across, I think what I'm calling tonight, the education mindset leading change. And the education mindset is often set in stone, and a lot of the same things have been done forever. Uh, it's often limiting. I mean, COVID has caused education, I know we've talked about this in the past, to look upon itself and figure out ways of doing something new. It has definitely changed the status quo, um, not by choice, but people have had to do that in order to sustain a school and to work with students and to work in new capacities and work in new ways. Um, as we get a vaccine in the future, will things go back to, quote, normal? Or are, they gonna, are we going to be able to sustain some changes that maybe we do need in education? Um, that will be interesting. Uh, many leaders go through life on autopilot and... Uh, tend to not change. Um, things have been done in companies and organizations forever. Um, education is no exception for sure. Um, looking at a book from John Maxwell tonight, I was going to share a few things from Thinking for a Change, 11 Ways Highly Successful People Approach Life and Work. Um, John Maxwell, of course, one of my favorite authors. And uh, um, I'm going to read this piece right here. Who will change your mind? Most people in our culture look to educational systems to teach them and their children to think. In fact, many individuals believe the, that formal education holds the key to improving lives and re reforming society. James Bryant Conant, chemistry professor and former president of Harvard University, asserted public education is a great instrument of social change. Education is a social process, perhaps the most important process in determining the future of our country it should command a far larger portion of our national income than it does today. No surprise there. Many educators would have us believe that good grades lead to a better life and that the more formal education you have, the more successful you will be, yet education often can't deliver on such promises. Don't you know highly educated people who are highly unsuccessful? Haven't you met college professors with PhDs who cannot manage their lives effectively? And conversely, don't you know of dropouts who have become very successful? Think of Bill Gates, Thomas Edison, uh, Federico Fellini, Steve Jobs. Uh, William Feather, author of The Business of Life, remarked, Two delusions fostered by higher education are what is taught corresponds to what is learned and, and that it will somehow pay off in money. Educational reformer and former University of Chicago President Robert M. Hutchins observed, when we listen to the radio, look at television, and read the newspapers, we wonder whether universal education has been the great boon that its supporters have always claimed it would be. Perhaps we would be better off if we took the advice of Mark Twain, who said, I never let my schooling interfere with my education. The problem with most educational institutions is that they try to teach people what to think, not how to think. Contrary to what Francis Bacon said, knowledge alone is not power, Knowledge has value only in the hands of someone who has the ability to think well. People must learn how to think well to achieve their dreams and to reach their potential. So teaching 
our students how to think, teaching our leaders how to think are extremely important principles. And don't get me wrong, I'm not stating that education itself is um, not helpful in getting jobs. And there's still research, of course, that shows how much more you make if you complete high school and graduate high school, you complete college. Um, do you get in the role that you want? I don't know, but there are uh, there is research around that. And then another uh, place I'm going to jump to is change thinking is the best gift you can give others. Author H.L. Mencken asserted, my guess is that well over 80% of the human race goes through life without a single original thought. When Karen Ford changed the way she thought, she improved not only her own life, but also the lives of all the people in her organization. Learning to think better is a great investment in yourself, but it's also the greatest present you can give someone else because it represents the gift of unlimited potential. So potential is another key in uh, creative thought in changing that mindset and getting into that leader uh, leadership mindset. And another thing I thought I'd share from tonight is hacking leadership. Ten ways great leaders inspire learning that teachers, students, and parents love. And that's uh, Joe Sanfilippo and Tony Sinias. Um, they've got a lot of good books on hacking, all kinds of stuff. And this is the Hacking Leadership book. It was actually given to me by my old media specialist. Uh, she attended a conference and picked up this book because she knows how passionate I am about leadership. And they've got a, a section on change the mindset, eradicate deficit thinking. And this one really hit home with me, this piece in this uh, chapter, because they talk about uh, the problem educators defer to deficit thinking. Um, the more I'm going to read this to you. The more we interact with educators from around the country, the more we understand how pervasively the deficit mindset saturates the world of education. Between the two of us, we have been working in the field of education for almost 40 years, and we cannot tell you how many times we have heard statements that start with these kids can't learn this because, or those teachers can't implement that instructional model because, or this community of families can't do this because. As soon as the sentence begins that way, we know the end will be negative. Um, generally, the speaker will refer to socioeconomic status, geographical context, and perceptions of a certain neighborhood or community or some other perceived disadvantage affecting students, educators, or the community at large. And I've talked about that a lot on my podcast as well in the importance of staying positive and not having limits and thinking beyond. Uh, and then they go on to talk about... Um, these speakers manifest their deficit mindset in their words. And the impact of speaking and acting from such a point of view can be devastating to students, families, and the entire school community. The deficit model of education has been around since the one-room schoolhouse, although we have come to associate it with labeling special education students or students living in impoverished communities. Its impact doesn't end with children. When we identify a child, a teacher, or a school, with that it lacks usually one fixed and negative at attribute. We limit an exceedingly complex system. Okay. No possibility, no potential exists for it in the mind of the beholder without recourse to that label, both as a defining mark and as an obstacle. The more pervasive the negative mindset, the more label determines possibilities for children, teachers, schools, practices within a school community. It's like looking at your cumes and kind of setting yourself up thinking, if I look at this cume and understand all this about this kid, maybe it is going to 
taint my view of that student and maybe I won't be able to do what I need to do with that student. Uh, I've heard teachers say too that they never read a lot of the comments in the cum and then they realized, you know, they did all these things with the student and made all these changes and advances and then realized that somebody else uh, were saying more negative things about them and had more negative experiences with that kind of what you look for. And we've talked about that too. If you're looking for positives or you're looking for negatives, I mean, you're going to definitely find what you are looking for. And a lot of times in education, uh, we tend to default too. And that default when we're teaching, uh, when I teach about PBIS and, and train people, we're talking about behaviors. And a lot of times, if you don't teach them strategies and techniques and things they can do for de-escalation and things they can do for working with kids, what happens is, um, as they talked about at the beginning of this chapter, is they uh, people uh, fall into a, a deficit where they default. And you default back into what you know, and what you know is, uh, and usually in that case with a behavior, usually talking about raising your voice or doing things that are more punitive and more things that are not necessarily going to build that relationship with that student and it's going to tear it down and um, they just don't build up the quality um, connections that you need to. But without any other strategies, you fall back into that deficit. And I think that's a lot of times what we do in education. If you don't have that mindset that you're going to change and move forward and look for better and evolve, uh, it falls back into that default. And those defaults often are not the most positive for our kids and for our staff and for our communities, especially as a leader. Um, and then the rest of this chapter, they kind of go through. I wanted to hit on a few things that are in here because I liked the way they said certain things. Um, find out what parents want for their children. Um the best way to avoid uh, slipping into a focus on deficiencies is to find out about possibilities. Talk to parents and find out what they hope and dream for their children. We need to explore their goals and figure out ways to make a potential a reality. And in the first school I was in that was high poverty, we developed a lot of things around hope and, and going to college and new experiences and things that the kids were not aware of. And we created a new um, shift in a somewhat uh, deficient thinking around uh, schooling, around possibilities, around careers. Uh, we brought career people in, we brought speakers in, we uh, did a lot of service connections. And I mean, there are so many things you can do. Another thing they say is talk to the children, start facilitating relationships by scheduling times together with specific children, have lunch with, the groups, of with groups of kids, facilitate book clubs, um, start before and after school clubs, uh, play games, talk and connect. One of my best times to connect with kids was out actually out on the playground. I did that in the morning and uh, greeting buses in the morning. And then I also did it uh, connecting with kids as they were on the playground. And that was a good way of hearing uh, the mindset of the kids and where they are at and what they're thinking and um, knowing what needed to be done and what direction we needed to head as a school too. And, you know, healthy relationships, of course, build trust and respect. And that's another uh, plus or positive you want to do. Uh, and then they go through a lot of things in here. One of them I particularly liked. I'm not going to read all these, but um, you can pick up this book if you'd like to. And it's Hacking Leadership. It's a real easy read and it's got good little tips in it. And a lot of the things, it's interesting because a lot of the things they talk about I did as a principal. Uh, and they're good leadership principles and... Uh, 
I liked uh, this one too, use data to identify strengths. And that was something I was big on instead of using data just to target needs. Take a second look at how you might target strengths. Uh, use strengths to teach students areas of expertise, uh, empower the students to feel successful, uh, focus on their strengths. Uh, it allows you to celebrate student success and it allows their strengths to be a foundation for improving skills and address areas where there, there is room for growth. And I did that same thing with uh, my staff because we used uh, Gallup's uh, Strengths Explorer and then we used Strengths Quest with kids, which identified some of their strengths. And then we built on those as a school, especially the focus school, we built on those strengths. And building on those strengths is a better way to make uh, growth and help students grow. And then they go through some really good ideas um, about modeling the mindset uh, mindset, ensuring that you validate the strong work of both teachers and students. Um, your voice and actions hold weight in both of these segments of the learning community, and that's especially true if you're the principal or if you're a leader. Um, one of the biggest things you can do is model, like they say, model, model, model. Um, continue to model, and um, your actions have to match your words. I don't know how many, time I, how many times I say that, but that's so true and not always true with many leaders, but it has to be true. And then uh, build capacity. Most teachers have been trained to recognize deficiencies in student work, and we talked about that a little bit earlier with the, the CUMES. Uh, traditionally, educators are focused on fixing what students are getting wrong instead of acknowledging what they are doing well. Um, as a result, the shift to, do a different to a different mindset may feel forced at first. One way to counter habitual focus on deficits would be to begin systematically placing attention on strengths. And we've talked about that within positive behavior sports too. The more positives you give, the more there are actually you are actually going to see taking place. If you focus on the negative, you're actually going to see more negatives happening. Um, a lot of good information in here. I'm not going to read. I could keep going on because there's this stuff I really like. Um, uh, encourage educators to learn something different, difficult. Um, that's another way of changing the mindset. Um, Uh, yeah, hope having they're talking about focusing on their own learning ensures that they have experience and they experience the discomfort of acquiring new and challenging ideas and helps you with that empathy towards children, which they are daily experiencing. Uh, giving students uh, access to diverse learning opportunities. That was always a goal of mine uh, within the focus program and within uh, the first school I was in, opportunities. I was all about opportunities for all students and opportunities in technology and robotics and uh, a lot of different areas, everything from coding to um, uh, taekwondo to uh, different physical, mental, and uh, science areas, uh, the STEM areas. But um, if you want to nurture a positive mindset in students, you have to introduce them to a broad range of learning, and that's for sure. And, and they kind of end this chapter with talking about, you know, uh, celebrating awesome things that are happening in your school and celebrating, uh, and they even refer to Todd Whitaker, um, who recommends creating a weekly staff newsletter, which I did with the, the Friday Focus. Um, they talk about spotlighting teachers, talking about uh, ways of celebrating uh, success and goals and uh, educational triumphs throughout your building as well as other things that are happening throughout your building and the importance of, of continuing that. And uh, it's, it's just really good uh, 
thinking, if you get, if you start reflecting yourself and thinking about your mindset and education, and are you helping it? Are you creating some of these deficits? Or what are you doing to help our kids move forward? What are you doing to help our students move forward? And if you're a leader, I hope you're especially thinking about what you're doing to move the staff forward and the students forward and changing that mindset and getting out of that deficit mindset. If you're constantly getting on teachers about test scores, you're going about it the wrong way. Um, That's not a good way to motivate staff. And uh, another great book is uh, Big Potential, How Transforming the Pursuit of Success Raises Our Achievement, Happiness, and Well-Being by Sean Acor, and he's the best-selling author of The Happiness Advantage and Before Happiness. He has some really good stuff, too. And let me share one thing from his book uh, before I go off on a tangent here. Um, he, this is there's a little section. I think this fits with what we're talking about tonight really well. Um, which is why change like success, like potential, and like happiness can't be pursued alone. Because true change, big or small, requires the support of champions who get it. It requires resilience, it requires leadership, no matter what seat we sit in, and it requires collective momentum, none of which can be possible without the ecosystem of potential. Yes, you, by definition, are the most important person in your universe. You are the planet around which your world revolves, which means if change is possible, it must start with you. But it doesn't end with you, at least not you alone. You have uh, connected with others. And... And then he goes on to, uh, uh, only then can we make sure all the children are well, and not just today, but tomorrow too. Um, really good stuff. Uh, the support of champions who get it. So if you're a leader, I hope you're a leader who gets it. And I hope you are providing the right kind of leadership. Um, hopefully this gets you thinking about what kind of mindset you're putting out there. And is it a deficit mindset or is it a mindset leading change and i want to end tonight with a quote and our quote is power to me is the ability to make a change in a positive way and that was by victoria justice so keep promoting effective leadership through productive culture changes and until next time remember to stay positive been listening to Urban Principle. Leadership lessons brought to you by BrettAnderson Consulting.com.